Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our latest housing market podcast. My name is Oscar Way. I'm uh, here with Jordan. Hello, everyone. Hi. Um, so we um, haven't talked for uh, a couple weeks, but uh, we have some uh, very time-sensitive issue that came up yesterday, and I thought, you know, maybe we should talk about it. I definitely think so. I just got back from uh, a conference up in Seattle, and while I was gone, the Fed decided to raise interest rates on us, which is both... Uh, interesting to me as an economist but i think more importantly for our members is that this is uh something that will obviously have implications for the housing market definitely i mean we've been keeping track on interest rates and you know it's it's a it's a topic that we talked about uh especially since the uh, end of last year right talk about interest rate because it jumped significantly at the end of last year but since then it kind of slowed down a little bit in fact it came down from um like a 4.3 for the 30-year fixed rate to yeah. somewhere near 4%, maybe even below 4% uh, recent in recent weeks. Right. But what happened to the, uh, you know, what, what the Federal Reserve did yesterday was very interesting. Um, they raised rates as we expected. No, it was pretty, uh, uh, pretty easy to predict that one. I think most people were on board with that. Being exactly. Uh, um, but from a, uh, you know, for, uh, the Fed funds rate got raised uh, to the range between 1 to 1.25 basically a quarterly uh, a quarter a percent increase yeah about 25 basis points right so i mean it is somewhat significant just in the sense that it's the first time right that the fed fund rate has been above one percent i think for for a while at least since before the downturn right so true true and and they were kind of sticking to their words a little bit because you know last time they raised it was um, last year, uh, end of last year, um, we expected them to to increase rates. Um, in fact, you know, some people might expect them to increase rates a little faster. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, at the end of 2015, right, they raised rates for the very first time, and then they said, hey, in 2016, we're thinking we'll raise rates, you know, three, two, three, four times, potentially. Right. Um, nothing happened all year long until we got to December, obviously. Uh, and so they went a full year, didn't do those four rate increases. Um, last year, they also said, you know, hey, we're looking at next year doing three, four. Um, so I think they're trying to do a better job of sticking to their guns. And at least looks like, you know, every quarter so far this year, right, we did it in the first quarter. Uh, and then now we did it at this June meeting. So at least their um, first half of the year, they have done the, the kind of two quoted rate increases. Right, and of course, uh, you know, based on their statement and based on what they mentioned in the FOMC statement, they mentioned that there could possibly, and, and a lot of people anticipate, there could be another rate increase, at least one more rate at increase least one more, yeah. uh, before the end of the year. So, of course, uh, you know, Fed funds rate increase have some implication. And well, first, uh, we need to clarify it to our um, listeners. When we talk about Fed funds rate, usually that is referring to short-term interest rates. Right. Yeah, that's the overnight rate that basically banks charge to each other to move money around back and forth. So. Exactly. And and I think last time when I talk about uh, when I was in an outreach, someone asked, okay, well, the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve raised rates, and how come the 30-year fixed rates actually went down? Right. Um, and it has a lot to do with uh, what happened in the bond buying market. Sure. And before we go into the bond buying market, um, want to just uh, kind of give an idea 
of what happened um, right after right. the uh, rates got raised yesterday. Um, first, let's take a look at you know the financial market. You know when we talk about the financial market, and I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about why we are interested in the uh, financial market uh, uh, later on. Yeah. But um, you know what happened with the financial market uh, right after the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve increased interest rate yesterday was it didn't really move that much. Right. Uh, the stock market, in, in fact, actually increased slightly uh, by about 0.2%. Very, very short, uh, small percentage for the Dow Jones. Right. And for the S&P stock market index, it only moved, uh, it actually went down slightly by a 0.1%. Very, very small. Right. So we can, we can look at that as, well, Basically flat for all intents and purposes, right? Right, and as you and I said earlier, it's somewhat expected. Right. Um, yeah, it wasn't earth-shattering. The market saw this coming a mile away, and so they weren't really... Um, I guess this was already baked in, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Um, and at the same time, I have to say... Um, there was another report that released uh, at the same time. I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. There right. was another report that released a little earlier before the Federal Reserve announced the Fed increase, and that is the uh, the CPI numbers. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And uh, the CPI numbers, uh, somewhat surprisingly, maybe not that much of a surprise, that actually um, the core inflation rate actually came out to be um, 1.7%. Right. Which is somewhat uh, below. Slower. Yeah, than um, it had been. Right, and and we have been expecting, uh, just a little side note, we have been expecting inflation to go up a right. little faster because of what happened. You know, uh, in, um, in November we elected Trump, and um, that comes with the uh, infrastructure uh, spending and all those other stuff that could potentially Tax increase. cuts, all these other stimulative kind of fiscal right. policies on the federal side that were supposed to um, boost the economy and thereby kind of push up prices and wages and things like that. And with unemployment at a very, very low rate, the last time I looked at it, well, the May number was, what, 4.3%? Right, yep. So and everyone or most economists expect inflation rate to go up um, you know, inch up, you know, throughout the year. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the reason why we pay attention to that, right, is because that's the one of the two things, I guess, of the what they call the twin mandate that the Fed is really charged with, um, you know, making happen is to both maintain kind of stable prices or stable inflation around their uh-huh. target and also combat unemployment. Um, and so I guess that's the reason why we're paying so close attention to that inflation number, right, is because exactly. if it cools down, then it suggests that the Fed... Uh, might not need to be as dramatic or as drastically combating inflation by raising interest rates. That's exactly right, and and because of the fact that you know usually the benchmark is about what two percent. That's what they're targeting. Yeah. Right. So they want to keep inflation right around two percent. And and the fact that it didn't come out you know with a rate above two percent, and that's why you know people you know when they look at the the uh, you know what the Fed does and look at the inflation uh, the CPI number. They kind of know what's going to happen, right? Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about you know the Fed future uh, rate hike in a minute. But because of that report coming up a little before the uh, the Fed FOMC statement, uh, people kind of expect okay, yeah, if there is an increase, there is going to be a slight increase, right? Now the, at the same time, there is um, along with that uh, increase in Fed uh, funds rate the statement, there is another um, announcement. Yeah, and, uh, and which is probably more significant from the housing standpoint. I mean, I think what you just brought up really highlights kind of the, the pickle that the Fed's in, right, is that uh-huh. they can um, raise federal funds rates, but the 
the long-term rates on things like 10-year bonds or you know 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, as an example, are governed by uh, much broader forces in the economy besides just what the Fed does, right? So they they've raised you know short-term rates, and people go, well, why did mortgage rates go down? And I think you know that's what you're getting to or alluding to here. Is Definitely, that that's governed, I guess, by by some bigger stuff that's happening out there beyond just what the Fed does. Definitely, definitely, um, and you know the announcement that I mentioned uh, that I wanted to say yeah. was um, along with that announcement is you know the the fact that the Fed is going to shrink the uh, portfolio. Uh-huh. Now, um, just a little background of what what I mean by yeah. what I meant by a portfolio. That's helpful. Um, so going back to the recession uh, in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, you know the housing market as well as the economy uh, was had gone down. And in order to kind of stimulate the economy, the Federal Reserve, along with the government, has to do something. Right. Now, the Federal Reserve opted to, or the government opted to do something with monetary policy. Sure. And monetary policy falls on the Federal Reserve. Right. And what happened was um, the Federal Reserve started buying bonds. Right. Um, and you've heard the terms quantitative easing. QE, right. Those QE, are all the different rounds of QE. Right. There were three rounds, QE 1, 2, and 3. Okay. And what happened is, you know, the, the Federal Reserve started creating some electronic money and started using the electronic money to buy bonds. Right. And we have talked about it many times when people buy bonds and when government buy bonds, what happens to rates. Yep. Drives those rates down. Right. So it happened three times. The first time was in uh, QE 1 was in uh, late 2008. QE2 was in two th- uh, November 2010. Okay. And then uh, June 2013 was actually, um, June 2013, actually, um, September 2012 was the third time um, that uh, QE3 happened. Right. So after you know, three uh, quantitative easing, we actually accumulated somewhat around, somewhere around you know 4.5 trillion of debts. Wow, yeah, and I mean I think what happened was you know the the traditional ammunition which was pretty much QE one and maybe part of QE two was that exactly what you said right the Fed used their traditional weapon which was to uh, essentially print money and go out and buy bonds uh-huh. um, and inject a lot of cash into the economy to both drop rates. Um, and also hopefully stimulate the economy and offset some of the the kind of effects that were happening from the downturn, retraction, and consumer spending, and housing market, and things like that. Um, but once they got rates down to zero percent, um, there was really nothing left for them to to kind of throw at the problem, right? They right. had you know used up. They'd fired every bullet in their chamber essentially. Um, and so I guess QE two, the later part of QE two and three, were more kind of non-traditional ways that the Fed intervene, um, again, because, you know, when they're buying those short-term bonds, they're really only affecting short-term rates. And that wasn't, you know, affecting overnight rates wasn't enough to really jumpstart the housing market, for example, which was the thing that was really dragging on the economy in the 2008-9 timeframe. And so I guess that's when they um, really went out and bought a lot of these um, different types of assets that they didn't normally buy, right? Like mortgage-backed securities to try and not just bring short-term rates down to zero like the federal funds rate, but to actually stimulate uh, the housing market and get long-term 
rates down and get, I guess, long-term mortgages flowing again. True. I mean, I mean, to be fair, of course, it's very debatable, you know, whether QE2, QE3 is necessary. Now, uh, to put something into context first, you know, I said $4.5 trillion is what we um, had um, in terms of the portfolio um, values right now. But going back to 2008, we only had seven to $800 billion. Oh, So wow. that's a significant so that's a increase. massive increase, yeah. And, and you know, I said debatable was... Yeah, we did have rates go down, but is it uh, more because of the uh, Fed funds rate going down or uh, QE3 having some kind of an impact? Yeah, well, it's very debatable. Right. But the fact is, we did amount, amass you know a significant amount of debt. Right. And you mentioned earlier about economic growth. Ideally, yeah, you put all those money out, you, we're going to have uh, significant economic growth. But look at our economic growth right now. It's, what, still 2%. It right. has been 2% for quite some time. Fairly anemic still. Yeah. And, and part of the reason is, of course, you get all those money into the a pocket of or to the lenders. They have to actually loan those money out first. They have to actually, people have to borrow the money first. Yep. The fact is, reserve actually has been staying pretty high. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the biggest problem, right? And that's actually one of the reasons why we haven't seen um, a lot of inflation. I think that was one of the criticisms at the time during QE1, 2, and 3 was, you know, you can't just go out and willy-nilly, you know, print $4.5 trillion worth of money and buy up all these bonds um, without having it be inflationary. But, uh, you know, it really matters what happens to those dollars, right? So if those dollars actually, you know, flow out and, you know, economics kind of nerd jargon, we call it M2, but, you know, it was basically when that money gets out into the hands of people in the forms of, you know, deposits and loans that are actually getting spent by consumption and investment into the economy, um, it has the real potential to be inflation. But you rightly point out that the vast majority of all of those, um, you know, monetary injections that they did through the course of one, two, and three um, really just sat in the banks in the form of excess reserves. They didn't go out and make a bunch of loans. There's all kinds of onerous capital requirements and things like right. that and all kinds of other reasons, um, you know, underwriting standards, not the least of which, but, you know, many, many reasons why that money basically just sat there and it never really became inflationary, but it never really ended up stimulating the economy that much either. Exactly. I mean, at the beginning, I understand because Banks are risk averse in the, at, the, at least at the big, very beginning because a lot of the second mortgage loans didn't get um, get paid back because of what happened in the housing market. Right. So I, you know, at, at the beginning, I can understand. Um, at this stage, I think banks probably should be a little bit more um, loosening up. But no, that's just my opinion. Sure. Um, but I mean, yeah, the bottom line is if they start unwinding this stuff, right, it's a big pot of money um, that's going to come back out of those banks' balance sheets, right, exactly. as they start to sell those bonds back, um, you know, and, and take the money out of that kind of mortgage-backed security market. That has, I guess, um, you know, the punchline for us at least is that that's going to have uh, more implications probably on the long-term side. We uh-huh. always call it, you know, the short and long end of the yield curve. The Fed uh-huh. is impacting overnight rates, which is the short end of the yield curve, right? Overnight or one-month rates, um, T-bills, things like that. Whereas, um, you know, taking a lot of money out of the mortgage-backed security market, even if they do it at a gradual rate, um, is going to mean less supply of money. Um, we know that the economy, although it's not growing at a fast pace, the demand for money is growing, right? More jobs, Less people unemployed, people have higher incomes, they want to borrow. Right. Um, and that's going to mean, you know, more competition for existing loans. You're going to have to pay more to borrow that money. And so you could see the long end of that yield curve um, have higher rates, and that's going to mean higher rates for, for mortgages. And, of course, that's, uh, 
a pretty scary prospect here in California where, where affordability is already a problem. Definitely. And, and you know, the, uh, the implication is also, you know, we, you talk about, you know, the bond buying, you know, at the Federal uh, Reserve at the, the national level. Yeah. But there's one thing that we also need to be uh, uh, mindful of is it's not just the U.S. that is actually buying. Very And we true. know that, you know, we are seeing uh, other countries, Europe and Japan, buying some of the bonds as well. So, you know, if the U.S. started... Um, kind of reducing the portfolio, um, it's we can expect you know, other countries to do the same thing too. Right. And that definitely will drive you know, yields up. And that's one of the reasons why and you know they're they're making trying trying to make it a little bit more transparent, announce it a little bit of uh, ahead of time. Be very uh, kind of unexciting or very uh, lackluster and in their announcements even right is just to be as predictable as humanly possible and as plain vanilla as you can be to try and not spook anybody and and really forecast what's or you broadcast what's coming down the pike from miles away. Exactly, and, and, and there's a reason for that, and that's because what happened in uh, 2013 when they have the uh, sort of quote-unquote table tendrum. Right. And uh, just to kind of give people an idea, what happened in 2013, Ben Bernanke came out and said, oh, wait, we're going to stop you know, buying bonds, you know, we're going to uh, tapering off. And I remember what happened in 2013 when he made that announcement. It was somewhat of a surprise. And um, there was a, for three days in a row, right after his announcement, stock market kind of plummeted. Huge sell-off, right? Four or five percent or something like that. And I remember, you know, interest rate jumped maybe about 50 basis or 60, 60 or 75 basis point right. right away. People were not. Unexpected, right? right? You couldn't price that in. Exactly. And so what happened? They, they decided, okay, well, we'll make it transparent. We're going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. And they lay out in a plan. Um, and we'll comment on that later on. They lay out in their um, plan of what they're exactly going to do. They said, um, uh, based on the statement that they released uh, yesterday, they're going to, now, I said earlier there are uh, 4.5 trillion in assets right now. Right. Um, they actually stopped buying um, bonds since the, um, since uh, October 2014. Gotcha. So it's been almost three years where they haven't been pumping more money in. But we're just now talking about gradually starting to pull some of that money back. Right. But, you know, when I said stop buying, they just act, stop actively buying. But what happened if when, a, um, when some of the proceeds matured, they actually reinvest those proceeds in the uh, portfolio? Uh, some people paid off those mortgages in the mortgage-backed securities. They took back that money. And instead of just kind of retiring it, they bought some more. Right. So they're kind of maintaining that $4.5 trillion. Gotcha. Now, what they announced yesterday was, okay, they're going to start actually reducing um, every, every uh, for, in, uh, for the upcoming future, about $6, six billion in Treasury sec uh, securities. They're going to allow up to $6 billion in Treasury securities and then also $4 billion in mortgage bonds to kind of roll off. So they just expire. They're not going to re-up. They're, gonna they're just going to let those go. Right. And eventually, it's going to raise that, that amount. That limit is going to go all the way up to $30 billion in terms of uh, $30 billion a month in treasury securities. Oh, so and they're just going to burn off like a half a trillion right. dollars a year by when it's all said and done, essentially. More now, exactly what timeline. They didn't really specify. but that's We don't know what gradual means, but yeah. And they're going to look at it by looking at, okay, the unemployment rate and inflation and all that other stuff. 
So at least they have somewhat of a plan. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. We're not going to see this not. gigantic rocketing back up of long-term rates. But I think you know, for us, the punchline is that uh, it does look like you know the days of three and a half percent rates are behind us. And you know, even though this uh, most recent last couple of weeks has been somewhat tumultuous, and we saw mortgage rates dip back down below four percent, we think that's probably um, transitory, right? Because um, you know the Fed has been raising those short-term rates on the federal fund side, um, which doesn't have a huge amount of impact or filter through or pass through to the mortgage rates. But I think the bigger thing is their um, you know their portfolio side, and as they start to draw down this four and a half trillion dollars worth of mortgage backed and other long-term securities that you are going to see um, long-term rates start to go up and that obviously um, again is is an affordability thing for us right so the reason why we've spent you know the better part of of 16 or 18 minutes now on this is because you know it really does matter for housing when when long-term rates in particular go up and you know some of the the favorite slides or i guess the most depressing slides however you want to say that when i go out and do outreaches right is the ones that you made uh-huh. on the impacts of rates on the you know monthly mortgage payment or or the amount of income that you need to qualify for the median price home they're really two different ways of looking at the exact same question but can you talk a little bit about why um, you know, that's such a huge hit when when rates go up. I mean, even if they go up to four and a half or five and a half percent, it has huge implications to affordability. Right? Oh, definitely. I mean, of course, um, when a mortgage rate goes up by, you know, 50 basis point, let's say, you know, we go up 25 basis point now and then another 25 basis point by the end of the year. Yeah. It's going to go up in terms of your monthly payment. Uh, just someone uh, paying a median price of close to five hundred thousand. I don't know. I don't remember the exact uh, median price right now. Yeah, I think now. it was like give or take a couple thousand. But yeah, yeah let's say five hundred thousand or so. If someone pay a thirty-year fixed rate, um, uh, a fifty basis point, it's typically going to affect your monthly payment by about four hundred bucks. Uh huh. Um, and you know that means every year you need another what five thousand dollars of income. Yeah, man. Um, and that's and that's after tax income, right? So exactly. that's like that's five thousand dollars worth of actual cash you need. And I guess with you know my concern is the the median family or the median household out there is somewhere in the low sixty thousand dollars for income, right? And so in gross income, exactly uh, before tax, and so they don't have five thousand uh, dollars to come up with to finance these things. And affordability is already um, an issue. And so I just wonder where do these people you know go? Do we start to see um, home ownership? continue to come back around the way we saw and talked about in our previous podcast or is that you know in jeopardy i'm of the feeling that that's going to be a real um inhibitor for for you know the average california household and family who's you know just starting out and have kids or whatever the case may be to to really make the move into home ownership and get all the benefits that entails for you know all the generations coming after yeah i mean we were talking about you know, what five thousand for median household income is probably about what five, six, or maybe ten, even ten percent of increase. We don't really have that much. In- I mean, we look at inflation, we look at wage growth earlier. Yeah. We haven't really have a ten percent, you know, increase in salary. No. You know, median household income. Yeah, and at the same time, prices are growing, right? So they're going to have to not only bear a right. five, six percent uptick in price. But then now also have to shoulder these higher rates too, and it's just going to be really, really hard. Yeah, and we're talking about fifty basis point, and, and it's not going to be fifty basis point, let's say in a year and a half. It might actually increase by a hundred basis point. Right. And that's going to drive that's going to drive the housing affordability down to right now it's about thirty percent, thirty one percent. 
with the increase in interest rates and with increase in uh, continuing increase in home prices, it's going to drive it down to maybe about 27, 28%. That's already 4% of yeah. the population or households that cannot right. afford to buy a median price home. That's a significant amount. Um, yeah, I mean, the good news is I think for realtors that it, you know, makes their job more important than ever. You know, I think it's helping folks navigate and, you know, with all these headwinds out there is trying to really find ways to still make that dream of home ownership happen for people. I think, um, you know, realtors play a huge role in, in making that happen and connecting the dots for folks. You know, my favorite stat, one of them is that, you know, 85 or so percent of people said they would get into a home if they knew they could get in with less money down. Uh-huh. But, you know, less than 20 percent knew about FHA loans and things like that or other low down payment options that let you get in with less than 20 percent down, less than even 5 percent down. And so I think, um, you know, that's the both the challenge and the opportunity for realtors is if you can kind of be that conduit that helps to connect the dots for people, um, despite the fact that rates are going up. I mean, look, we're creating more and more jobs, right? We're still doing 400 and something thousand transactions. Uh-huh. And so as much as these are, are you know, real obstacles and challenges facing the market, I think that, um, you know, our point isn't to discourage the members, but to really, um, I always say, keep it real with them about what those challenges are um, so that they're kind of up on their game in terms of how to navigate this this challenging environment to still get that home ownership rate going up and to still close those deals and have a great year. Absolutely. Now, um, let's um, spend maybe a minute or two um, just to kind of wrap up on what we see now that Federal Reserve increased interest rates. And we said it earlier, core inflation doesn't seem to have increased that much. Right. Um, so do we anticipate that the Federal Reserve to actually carry out the action of increasing interest rates? Now, does it justify, you know, with inflation below 2%, um, that the Federal Reserve increase interest rates? Do you think that that is a justifiable action? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the camp where they should have started raising rates maybe a little bit earlier. I think that the advantages we got from an economic perspective of keeping rates low was uh-huh. kind of more than offset by the um, uncertainty and things that they were broadcasting by keeping rates down, right? I think that had a big psychological effect that the Fed was just sitting at zero for so long. Uh-huh. Um, it didn't send... A signal of a lot of confidence in where the economy was headed out there. Um, and I think the damage that would have been done by raising rates maybe, you know, earlier um, would have been kind of more than worth that because people would have at least said, you know, hey, look, I think that, the, you know, the people who are in charge of looking at this stuff seem somewhat optimistic. Um, in terms of future rate increases, I think, yes, the CPI numbers were soft and we haven't seen a big, you know, turnaround in inflation. I think that there was a couple of anomalies in the most recent data that kind of um, had a transitory softening uh-huh. on inflation, like, you know, AT&T, thank God, right, started right. doing um, unlimited data again, which I jumped back in on my unlimited data. But I think a lot uh-huh. of people, and actually folks are, are referencing this in the CPI data, was that data costs went down a lot. And so that had some effect on softening of of prices and things like that. I don't expect to see a ton of inflation coming down the pike. I wouldn't be surprised if we only saw one or even zero more rate increases by the Fed um, the rest of this year. But I do think that the economy, um, although not doing great, has warranted um, throwing some rounds back in the chamber to fight the next recession um, when it ever comes down the pike. I mean, God forbid the stock market crashed or something and we're still sitting at zero percent rates with five or six trillion dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities on the books. Um, There wouldn't have been 
you know, a lot to throw at the next downturn outside of just, you know, straight up fiscal spending, right? And so for me, I'm all for normalizing as long as they do it at a gradual rate. You know, you want to um, fight inflation, but you don't want to be too proactive about right. that by, um, you know, clamping down too hard on the economy when there's not a lot of inflationary pressures either. So, uh, yeah, I think we're fine where we are, but I think the pace will continue to be slow, and I think that's justified. I believe so, too. You know, how... I mean, we don't expect, obviously, we don't expect, uh, you, you brought up an example of AT&T. We don't expect the wireless phone bill to continue to go down, obviously. Right. I mean, the competition drives that down. But a couple other things that I want to mention that could actually have some more inflationary pressure, um, uh, that could affect inflationary pressure, for example, you know, about uh, rent growth. We know that rent growth actually has slowed down a little bit. Yeah. We did see some additional um, supply maybe in LA or some of the areas actually being uh, put up in the market. Yeah. So we are seeing some slowdown in rent growth, which could affect you know those inf- inflationary pressure. Uh, but also another issues that kind of slow down inflation could be uh, we are we have always been uh, you know going global in terms of retail. Uh, right. We know that the retail industry kind of closed down a little bit in terms of the. Uh, uh, more uh, the um, stores at the mall and you know, people are going online to, uh, to shop and right. a lot of those online sales are actually uh, overseas or you know uh, products from overseas so you have that drives uh, cost down a little bit but at the same time I do believe you know at a 4.3 percent unemployment rate yeah you know at some point we're gonna have see some inflation now I mean those fundamentals matter right and we're continuing to grow the economy um, and we have fewer and fewer workers sitting on the sidelines to be able to do that with and you know ultimately to continue to grow and recruit people in um, and get folks off the sidelines it means offering better compensation and and that's the the kind of where the rubber meets the road on inflation right consumer prices definitely um, don't happen in isolation isolation they're a result of how much it costs you to produce that stuff and people are a huge part of that equation and so um, once you get to full employment and those wages start to go back up um, you know I think that's that's really the the biggest force out there and so while I don't expect inflation or rates therefore to come rocketing back I do think that you will see it stabilize around two percent yeah so I think you know bottom line is at the for our inflation rate uh, prediction of fl- inflation rate. I don't think we're going to change that much. It may actually be a little bit lower than we previously predicted, but we still believe interest rates as well as inflation rate are going to uh, continue to go up uh, by the end of the year. Yep. It may accelerate a little bit more next year, but. Um, yeah, I mean, so for all of those uh, existing homeowners who you know haven't already, for whatever reason, locked in a rate. Uh, on their home that they have, I would say now's the the time to refinance because it's not going to stay below four percent right forever. And if you've got people out there, potential clients, friends, or family who are thinking about getting into the market, um, you know, again, the the rates are low now, but they're not going to stay down there forever. And every you know half percent that they go up is you know another big chunk of home um, mm-hmm. money that you can't outlay on that home, I guess. And so uh, right. those are are kind of the set pieces that might help you. Yeah, definitely. So again, go out and buy a home right now to take advantage of the low interest rate environment, um, and and we'll get that home ownership rate up. So uh, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> As we learn more, we will definitely keep you posted. But I think that's a, a good stopping point for now. Definitely. Tune in next time to hear uh, more about the housing market. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one. Bye bye. Bye-bye.